just past 18 hours, 41 minutes, East African time. Time for John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. This being Wednesday, the 21st of September, 2022. Hamjambo na Hello and welcome. You know, I've always fancied myself as a weather reporter... And this episode will provide my first opportunity to give it a go. My text is edited from a weather prediction for Kenya in the year 2050. That is about 27 years from now by the World Meteorological Organization at a conference. So, let me put on a different voice. These high temperatures are now a common occurrence in 2050. However, 50 years ago, in the city of Nairobi, we see that you had an average of around 25 degrees Celsius being the maximum temperature in the month of June. However, this value went down slightly up to 2015, but after 2020 we had quite a steady increase and now in 2050 we have an average of around 35 to 36 degrees Celsius. Likewise, minimum temperatures seem to have taken the same trend. In the year 2000, we had 18 degrees Celsius being the minimum temperature for Nairobi over the month of June, but this increased steadily up to 2050's average of between 22 and 26 degrees Celsius being the minimum temperature. We also know that our country's economy depends largely on rain-fed agriculture. And as such, rainfall is very important, especially for towns in the breadbasket regions. Kitali, especially in the year 2000, had around 650 millimeters of rainfall annually. And we had some fluctuations throughout the entire season up to the year 2020. However, after that, We've been having quite a lot of variety across the years. We have had years with very high rainfall amounts of up to 750 millimetres, and then we have the following year having amounts as low as 400 millimetres. So, it's going to be very hot, and there are times when there's going to be very little rain, times when there's going to be lots of rain, But in a nutshell, the weather is going to give us a rough time. Well, today's guest is an expert scientist, whom I shall call Daktarium Subiri for a reason to be explained later. Why these dire changes? Is the world coming to an end? What about my children's children? Cue in somber music, ringing of hands gnashing and grinding of teeth. Daktari Msubiri, why these changes? This is 2050, and the climate is three degrees warmer than 1850. 1850 is the year before we started Industrial Revolution, before we started um, industrializing as the world. Um expanding our agricultural production, using our lands rapidly, we were, the temperatures were not as high as now. What we see now 
is changes that have occurred over time due to um, the warming of the climate system. In the year 2000, we were close to about uh, one degree relative to 1850 before we started um, uh, driving uh, the changes in the climate system, what we see at the moment. Before there were rapid uh, human activities uh, um, going on in the world. But these changes have happened because the Earth system has been warming over time. And what we see at the moment, the changes we see now in, uh, in 2050 are the changes that have occurred over time. It's, it's due to the warming of the climate system that's accumulated over time. And what we see is the rapid um, occurrences, extremes in weather. And this is because of the changes um, that has been caused by the warming. And we know that the warming of the, of the climate sort of... Um, uh, occurs in a way that it changes all the patterns. So the patterns become frequent. Uh, we have extremes of um, low precipitation, what we call the droughts. Uh, we have the extremes of high rainfall, uh, what we call the floods or extreme rainfall. And that that is what we're seeing at the moment. And we are seeing the heat waves, the extreme heat we're seeing. We are in 2050 and we are, we, we are experiencing 35 degrees of, of temperatures in Nairobi. This was something that we is, is, is an add of. We, 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 we were at 25 average in 2020. So these are the changes that we've caused ourselves as humans. Uh, the, the warming has accumulated over time. Uh, the little um, interventions that have been put in place has actually resulted in uh, the situation we are at the moment. Well, before we get into the more hard science or inexplicable science, I will take you back to my youth and I always used to switch on the TV and there would be the weather report, hence my desire to be one of these people who waves a magic wand and says there'll be scattered showers around here, there and everywhere. But if this is such a difficult problem, it seems to me that we no longer have weather reports and weather information in the same way that Capital FM will give you a, a roadmap guide saying there's lots of traffic. So if the problem is getting worse, why are we paying it less attention? It's actually not true because we've done, we, we're doing things different now. It's 2050. We've decided to co-produce the weather. So it's not about, uh, it's not like back in the day where we would just I issue weather forecast and say, we're expecting rains tomorrow, next month, uh, we're expecting a drought or a less rainfall. Uh, what we do at the moment is we sit with different actors from different sectors, the stakeholders, people who use climate information, weather information, we sit together and co-produce and say, how do you use this weather? How, do you, how does the weather help you? How do you want the climate information? Uh, how can we uh, give it to you in a way that it's useful to so, you? Sorry, so you're not telling Wanainchi as such. You're telling management, selected managers. Yeah. And the rest of us are to stay completely in the dark. No, we are telling you, but what we're saying now is we're coming closer to you and we are saying, we're talking about how do you want to use the climate information, the weather? I come to you, uh, Dr. Malim, and say, um, tomorrow is going to rain. Uh, how do you want to use this information? How do you want to get this information? So we package it in a way that it's useful to you. So we just don't throw the information out there. And this is the, what is different from what we used to do back in the day. Oh, dear. 
Dr. Msubiri, let me tell you something about where I come from. People always sort of, um, well, not hurl abuse at me, but they say to me, oh, you must come from that region of Kenya, which is always subject to floods year in, year out. Um, uh, So I won't name it. Let that remain a mystery. But you guys are always subject to flooding. And uh, when you go to where I come from, obviously, the big lake has a river. The river overswells. And in the bad old days, the alluvial soil that generated was a source of great income for the and a livelihood for the people who lived around the lake. Now, when it happens with flooding, with this awful climate change, I find it very difficult to explain to the people on the ground what climate change is, so that something that used to be good has suddenly become bad. So there's a lot of flooding, relief agencies come, uh, church organizations pitch up and tents everywhere start feeding people until the water levels reside, uh, whatever the English word might be, go down, <laughs> and then everybody goes back to where they were before. Climate change, uh, I don't know how to describe that to my grandmother where she's still here. Yeah. I, Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm. And and it's and it's it's really important to have that conversation because I think most people um they don't really get the like the real feel of what climate change is and what we mean by climate change. Like what is that change? What do we mean? So uh just to break it down or to put it in simple words is like this like sort of a permanent um cha- shift in the average conditions. So um, what we call weather is like the daily changes uh, in the conditions of of the atmosphere. So you could find there's high humidity tomorrow, there's rain today, there's less rain tomorrow. So that is the weather, the daily changes. But now when you talk about the climate, you're talking about the average of that conditions in a longer period of time. And as um, as climatologists or climate scientists, we sort of have a period that we use and it's normally 30 years. So you say in a period of 30 years, you're talking about the average conditions have completely changed. And that is when now we say the climate has changed. Okay, but again, look, I'm watching the news in the UK and I'm seeing a city in London, in the UK, completely underwater. I'm being told that in Pakistan, a third of the country is underwater. Relief organizations, all Pakistanis everywhere contributing money to alleviate the situation. You know, the layman's um, perception, Daktarim Subiri, is that Maybe we ought to go back to the religious texts and say the end days are near. The world is coming to an end. And you're just stringing it out by giving us lots of reports until it happens. I think that is not entirely true, or I can say it's not true from a climate scientist um, point or um, yeah, point of view. Is It's because we still have time to do something about this crisis really okay yeah fine okay i'll save that till the end maybe yeah. because then i'll preempt the thing i'm just saying the things that i don't understand yeah uh, the other thing that i don't understand is that uh, two things that i'd like to when we were little 
and we were told CO2 was one molecule of carbon and O2 was two molecules of oxygen and that resulted in CO2 and CO2. Then there was photosynthesis where this happened and it seemed to suggest from my non-scientific mind that nature itself was solving the problem. Uh, Nature itself was self-cleaning and self-regenerating just by natural processes. Again, I've understood the idea that over 30 years frightful things might happen. What is happening now that there is such a concern that nature won't be able to cope? What is man doing? What has man done to make sure that nature can't cope as it ought to? So, Malimo, um, actually before, um, when I started the show, I mentioned the year uh, 1850, and there was a reason why I mentioned that here. This is actually the average year where, like, um, humans started uh, industrializing. Mm-hmm. And um, before that, there was a period called uh, the Holocene. Uh, it's, it's a glacial period. That is, um, so it's, there was a period of like 10,000 years where the temperatures were actually very stable. So right. the changes were not as drastic. But then uh, we got to 1850 and we started um, doing so much. We started emitting what we call greenhouse gases. And right. This, oh, greenhouse gases. Yes. Oh, gosh, that's a good moment. It's a yeah. good moment for, <laughs> it's a good moment. I was a good moment to stop greenhouse gases. We're going to remember that. Uh, quick break. Daktari Msuberi, greenhouse gases, a tongue twister. What does it mean? Greenhouse gases. So these are gases that are emitted from factories when there's... um, um, So these are emitted from uh, industrial activities to the atmosphere. And we call them greenhouse gases because of one thing, what they do... They trap heat. So they're heat trapping. So they cause something called the greenhouse effect. And that is where the name came from. And so then what they do is, without using very a lot of jargon here, is they trap the heat that tries to go back to the earth, that, that is emitted from the earth's surface. And then that causes accumulation of heat in the atmosphere. And that causes the warming of the climate system. I'll tell you something else that I know. So I've gathered that when I go to a greenhouse yes. uh, where people are growing flowers, that's a nice place where the flowers and tomatoes can grow nicely. Yes. But this particular greenhouse has a negative effect. Yeah. And doing my researches, I believe you're the scientist, that we're not part of the problem here in Kenya. We are not part of the problem here in Africa we contribute to maybe 3% of these emissions. So we are in Kenya, we are in Africa, but we are not part of the problem. So there's going to be a point in time whether we choose to repeat what other countries have done so that when our politicians say it's time to have industries, how are we going to run our industries in a way that doesn't 
pollute the atmosphere? And how much does the, does the pollution spread? How does the pollution in in the Ukraine, in America, come to us? Or will we be in a kind of oasis of fresh air for a long time? Do you see me as a little kid drawing my little thing for homework? <laughs> Where are these greenhouse gases going to come from? That's an interesting question, William. Um, first, I like you mentioned that um, we are the we are least responsible for the warming that we see in the world at the moment, and this is because we are not the biggest emitters. The biggest emitters at the moment is the United States and China, and they are actually the two main um, emitters that are responsible for the warming. But of course, many other countries are emitting as well. Um, but when you, you hear of arguments where, like our politicians say, it's our time to industrialize uh, or to develop, they're, they're right because um, we have. So there's something called the carbon budget. So it's like we are sort of um, countries like uh, the biggest emitters are supposed to cut down their emissions drastically. And then because um, it's almost um, inevitable for us to develop as developing countries, we are sort of have an allowable in quotes um, uh, emission. Uh, we have we are, we're still allowed to emit because we are industrializing. So the countries that are avian sorry, emitting, sorry, sorry, I'm reading my newspapers too. Does that mean that if I see that there's some sort of coal plant coming up in Lamu or something, is this to be perceived as development? No. A c- coal, which has already been denigrated, is bad. And that's what we want to set up now because we've got our quota of bad things to do. Uh, please simplify these well, things. Cause I, the, the, uh, yeah, well, uh, so when we talk about we, we have an allowable, uh, we have an allowable uh, emission, um, sort of we're allowed to emit, it doesn't mean that we use dirty sources of energy. We are saying that... Um, but Kenya is about to adopt coal as a kind of thing. Am I wrong? No, you, you're right. Good or bad? You can't say because you're not a politician. I'm not. A I'm sorry I asked you that question. <laughs> but we'll hold it for our audience to, to, to unpick. What I think we do have time for before the conversation continues is, as we normally do on this show, and uh, our conversation is rich, as they say, because we're not sticking to the plan of uh, segmentizing. Uh, let's hear what the person in the street the pe- we went to fa- uh, Kisumu Kisi where people are farmers and we asked them for their interpretation of this word climate change flooding you could experience between January to March now we are in uh, September towards October you see some areas of Kisumu experiencing a bit of flooding and flash flooding you never predict how the weather will look like. It's a new thing. The unpredictable weather patterns is causing a lot of uh, drastic changes in the way people do their activities and the way people plan for their activities and in the way we are managing our water resources. It's high time that uh, the government and authorities prepare the local residents about the climate change and the effects of it. It's here with us. So normally this season we usually expect that there are no rains, but now with 
those patterns that have changed, there has been a lot of rainfall, unpredictable, almost uh, every day. So the issue of climate change is now becoming a real concern because uh, it is causing a lot of ripple effect, especially in terms of uh, management of water resources, in terms of prediction, and even how we can go about our activities in an efficient way. Currently, Kisumu County is undergoing unpredictable weather patterns uh, that have seen rainfall during the day. Uh, I would want to encourage and urge the residents of Kisumu County to find ways of adopting and mitigating through planting of more trees so that we can protect the ozone layer. There's a lot of heat, and this heat ought to be... The way we can contain it is one. How do we increase planting of trees to bring the cooling effect? Dr. Subiri, so again, you can see uh, the people are aware, the people are aware of te- change. But one of the m- m- words in that sort of thread was the word, the government ought to do more. Now, again, if you followed things closely, uh, neither of the, uh, all the political players, they talked about empowering people to get loans, whatever, women's loan, hustler loan, non-hustler loan, Nobody said do anything about climate change. So if the government isn't interested, are are there happy days ahead? And I'm saying the government isn't interested because they said there should be an educational plan. Are you going to say once again you're a professional, you work in this field, but you're not going to encourage the idea of policy and legislation? Um, Actually, climate is a key determinant uh, for sustainable development in the country and um, it comes with great significant social economic and environmental impacts as well and just you heard from the Monainchi saying that things have changed drastically um, they're talking about floods happening they're talking about droughts they're talking about even like a shift in patterns of 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 of, seasons, of shifting seasons, for I t- example. I take your point entirely. We've established that in the yes. last um, half an hour or yeah. so. The government's doing nothing. That was my um, combative remark. I don't think the government is doing nothing. I think there's a lot that being, is being done at the moment. Um, well, surely you must know, and in the same way that you've explained what happened in 1805 and the paleontological age, what's happening now... Uh, in terms of response from government? I'd like to know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of initiatives to actually adapt to climate change, to to build resilience. Such as? Uh, uh, The Minister of Environment is doing a lot on like um, planting trees, for example, which act as sinks to to the CO2 that is already in the atmosphere. It's also modifying the climate in a nice way. Um, There's also initiatives like... um, building resilience for communities, like working with communities uh, to really make them understand, to plant, uh, uh, say, uh, crops that are drought resistant, especially uh, on seasons that we think we expect below normal rainfall. So there's work that is being done, actually, on this. And um, I think uh, also uh, the president uh, read something about, on, on, his, on his inauguration, about the plans that he has for... Uh, on climate change, the commitments that the country is putting in place. 
and um, also to say as we add to COP27, which is conference of parties where uh, countries or governments sit and discuss the issue of climate change, uh, the president also showed commitment to this. And Kenya has a good a big delegation that attends this and they uh, actively participate in this to discuss the issues of climate and to address how we can mobilize funds or resources or, b- or build our community's resilience to, to the impacts of climate change. So I think, the, I think a lot is done. But Dr. Msubiri, yeah. you, 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 with respect, you are beginning to sound a bit like a politician. <laughs> uh, God forbid you might become one. But uh, the, the, what, what I'm saying is when we read what we do read, we have ongoing debates about something like the Mao forest. And that this is the idea of the idea of policy versus politics. So when time comes around for the elections or something, whatever is most pleasing to garner the votes is the adopted stance of government. And that stance goes against the dictates of science. So perhaps you might have people who are planting flowers and they are planting flowers and the flowers get onto a plane and they're fresh and they land on somebody's dinner table uh, at the Waldorf Astoria. But on the ground, we're being told that the manner of planting those flowers, the manner of fertilizing the soil and degrading the rivers like Nakuru and Naivasha is bad. And I'm still using this kiddie word bad. Why are we doing bad things when our aim is to arrive at good. Exactly. The point is the science. When we make decisions that are based on science, that are not well-informed, we, we tend to do something called maladaptation. Maladaptation is like sort of the adverse impacts of... It's actually unintended to say because someone someone is um, putting in measures thinking they're doing the right thing, but they are not doing the right thing. It's actually affecting the system in a way that is harmful uh, because it's not using the best available science. And that is what we talk about every time. And uh, and that is our work as scientists. Even when politicians come up with policies and we want to, when they want to put measures in place, we are there to guide and to, to, to say... Um, to actually give guidance and say this is how much that needs this is how much uh, this is how things need to be done and this is how impactful it will be and that is important that it will bring positive changes. So yes, I see uh, things being done that are not in place and I see policies that have been put that are not working and we still see that the environment is being degraded, the climate is continuing to change, we see the drought still affecting people, uh, the, we still see um, a lot of um, insecurity, I mean food insecurity um, happening because the measures that are being put in place are not well placed and well informed. Time for another break. But before the break, I want your mind to be going around this thought in my mind when we come back. My through line is going to say, scientists like you are failing us. The one ain't she? Daktarim Subiri, I think we're going to have this kind of conversation when we have somebody from academia 
people at the universities who are lecturers, who are experts in their own field, and one assumes that they're writing academic papers. And what I'm interested in, and, and the joy of having, and the privilege of having somebody like you in the studio, is for you to be able, I hope, to explain that you are doing something, that there isn't cause for despair and depression and despondency. So we go back to the idea, we've established a problem, and this is a, this is a leitmotif, this is a question to every single guest on this program. Perhaps we have 15 minutes where I sort of say a little bit less and say, if there are Kenyan solutions to Kenyan problems, what are they? And since Africa is presumed to be a country, not a continent in the eyes of the world, what are the continental solutions? Is there a brotherhood, a sisterhood of activity where you join together to provide a united front? So this is the time for you to give the lecture. Malimu, yes, I will give that lecture. And it's, uh, I, want, I want to make this lecture short because I don't want to take so much time because there's so much that um, we can do as a continent, as a country. And I can start by, by, talking, about, uh, by talking about solutions that we can do as a continent. And I like your, the use of the word Kenyan solutions for Kenyan problems. And I like to say African solutions for African problems. And I've always been talking about this um, in all conferences I attend, meetings I attend, and I'm asked to speak about these issues. First, we need to see what works for us as, as Africans, as Kenyans. What are the issues with us? Uh, when we talk about, we know that we are not responsible for these emissions. So we need to be talking more about adaptation. And adaptation is actually looking for, these are strategies, these are uh, like building processes and structures and, and um, systems that actually can adapt, uh, can uh, adjust or moderate the impacts of climate change. That is what we should be doing and we should be focusing. And the other thing is on building resilience, climate resilience. We should be looking at how can we cope with the adverse impacts of climate change. And when I start with adaptation and um, talking from an African-wide perspective first, we need to work as like a continent and see um, we start with number one, which I think is always one of the most pertinent issues for me is research, research in Africa. We need to understand what works for Africa. And I I, I will uh, emphasize that we should be focusing on measures, options, uh, initiatives that are science-driven. We shouldn't just because we, we want to tap to these resources that come that are coming from international donors, um, that are coming from like the climate fund, uh, because there's all this debate now where we're talking about how can we support developing countries to adapt to climate change. We should have pipeline projects that actually can maximize uh, on the, the opportunities that we can use that can actually work for us. So first of all, we need to see what really works for us in terms of um, 
adapting to climate change. So we just don't want to say we want to start planting trees everywhere. Of course, uh, planting trees works and it's, it's a measure, but we want to establish and say how, where does this work and where it doesn't work. Uh, we want, if we were talking about, um, uh, for example, like um, uh, working with communities, say pastoral communities, we want to understand what really works for them. Uh, are we saying that they have to shift uh, their sort of uh, livelihoods that they're depending on now because that the, the, the conditions have changed completely? Uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, they don't, they no longer have pastures or uh, their livelihoods are no longer sustainable with the current climate trends. So, what exactly do, do are, are they supposed to do? Are they changing to become like farmers or? Um, shift to other livelihoods that work for them. So basically what I'm trying to say is we need to look for solutions. There are thousand and one solutions that we can uh, put in place, but we need to see what works for us and what doesn't work for us. Use of renewable energy is one of the best solutions for us. And we're talking about leapfrogging as a continent. We are saying we can actually industrialize and develop without having to emit a lot, without having to say, okay, um, the United States, the UK, have industrialized for the last, they've, they've used fossil fuels for the last hundred and so years. And so it's our turn now to, 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 to mine our coal, to use our coal, to use the fossil um, uh, fuels that in our grounds to, to, to industrialize because it's our time. We've emitted less. I don't think that is what we should be doing. I think there are better ways of doing this. And we can actually, we have the best resource, which is the renewable energy. We are doing very well as a country, Kenya, and we can use that. And that can really give us the best and the most sustainable, the cl- a climate resilient development that we're looking for. Okay, I'd like to, I like the lecture. It's very reassuring. I'd like you to give you some sort of images. Again, now we're looking to northern Kenya. We're looking to what might be uh, Turkana and the images in the newspapers, the pictures. Somebody said, I had 12 camels. They've all died. Uh, I've only got one left and it's about to die tomorrow. You go to Samburu, find some ladies looking, looking for berries, looking for seeds and whatever. And these are horrendous, heart-rending images but i always go back to the thing of apart from having a campaign that says people are now dying in meru uh, in imenti north let's get food for them how do we make this never happen again because again when you're drawing that continuum it seems that we're not advancing on the ground you can't draw a diagram rather like we did for the weather and say what happened this year in northern Kenya is not going to happen next year. But yet you're sitting in front of me calling yourself a scientist and saying that there are scientific solutions for what's happening. So of course you can see that I'm sort of saying, uh, question mark. Yeah, I see that. And and I agree. Uh, I understand where your question mark is coming from. And I... I think we are not doing enough. And I agree. As scientists, as government, as people, we're not doing enough to address the crisis. Certainly, we're doing less. 
And I think the solutions are actually within the people. So it's not about the planet. It's not about the climate here. It's about, it's about us, the people. What are we doing as people? And it has to be concerted effort, really. We have to sit together. And so it's all the way from Mamamboga, from, you said, uh, from um, that farmer, that camel herder in uh, Samburu, from that farmer. We have to all sit on a table and agree and say what solutions will work for us. But we, but we Africans, we Kenyans, have perceptions of ourselves as a people which can say, let us assume that I come from the mountain. And the mountain, maybe it's what we described as uh, rich, uh, grain rich, or I come from Kitali, where we're growing our maize from year to year and we're feeding people with maize. Still not enough, by the way. But the thing is, do we really care about what's happening to the Turkana whose camels are dying? Do we really care about the Luo whose lake is being polluted? Now that we have this notion of devolved government, I'm trying to look for you as a scientist to say, because I think there is an interaction between politics and what happens to people on the ground. Do you think, I'm asking you to think on the ground, that with the counties and devolution, we're getting closer to solving our problems nationally, or will this create an even more insular and silo effect? We're doing well where we are, forget the rest. I think devolution is doing a good thing, and I think we are on the right direction. Why is it doing a good thing? Because now we have activities that are actually targeted to that locality or that location or that county. And I'll give a good example of the forecast that we, we give at the Kenya Meteorological Department. Nowadays, we downscale our forecast. So we have the national forecast where we talk about, um, uh, we, we give the, the general forecast talking about when do we expect the rains, uh, when do we expect the rains to, to, to start, for example, and when are the cessation dates for the rainfall, how is the geographical spread uh, coverage of the rainfall, and also like the temporal distribution, like how is it distributed within the season. But we go down to now the counties and downscale this forecast, and we say, what does this forecast really mean for each particular regions of the country, each county. And that's a really good thing because then we are going down into, um, we are addressing the issues that are very particular to that county, to that region. And so then uh, we are likely then to address those particular issues and give solutions for those issues within those countries, uh, those counties. Because what's happening in Kitale, an issue that are affecting people in Kitale, are quite different from what is affecting that camel herder in Samburu or northern Kenya. So it's important that we concentrate and we go down to the particular regions and talk about what exactly are the issues in this uh, region, particular region. And that is, I think, is a plus. A devolution is a plus for us. If we actually implement uh, the way it should be, which if we... Um, address issues the way it should be, uh, looking at them in, 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 in that siloed way, because I think really these issues are very um, finite, like they, are, they affect people differently in different regions. For example, you mentioned Kitale. I think um, what to them is a problem um, could be erratic rainfall. So there could be the shift in the seasons. 
Uh, if they used to plant their maize in March, April, May, they would depend on that season. And there's, there's research that shows that actually March, April, May is no longer the season for them. We're looking at June, July at the moment. June, July, August at the moment is the season for them. So you see that that is a particular um, concern for those farmers in that region. And we see for Northern Kenya now, uh, we've had uh, four consecutive failed seasons for them. They've never, some, some, most of the regions there, haven't seen a drop of rain for four years or something like that. So it means then that the measures that need to be put in these two different places are very unique and different. And um, the, initi- the, incent- the initiatives or like um, the approaches also need to be um, unique and different as well. I just one more question before we end this segment. Maybe you could give yourself a minute or two to answer it. This idea of priorities and fragmentation. So let's assume there's Madaraka Day and the idea is that it must move from county to county. One day the president is in Buhungu Stadium. Next minute he's going to be in Moy Stadium and move around the country. Now, we get to a point where basically you, the poor cousin, your priority is not to build a stadium. Your priority is not to build an athletics ground. In other words, are we actually going to designate certain parts of our country as requiring more funding to catch up with the rest? So that, let's say Nairobi will stay stagnant for the next 10 years so that Pokot might progress. Does the scientist encourage that? I do not encourage that because... Um, just as I said, the issues are unique. And we still have, so we're saying that there are parts of the country that are actually like the breadbasket for the country. And we st- we can't say that we will put less resources to these countries because we still want to get the best or the most out of this because this is what the country, like the rest of the country, depend on. Uh, whatever produ- pro- production that comes from this country, the level of production that comes from this country is actually what is dependent de- by the all cit- by all citizens of the country. But that doesn't say that there are parts of the the country that are actually need more attention. I think that is important to say because there um th- there are regions of this country that are that are worst affected by by the climate crisis, and I think. The efforts need to be more. Um, the interventions need to be detailed. The resources uh, need to be more. And I think um, the decisions need to be well informed. And I, need, I think the science need to play a role here. They need to be well informed. But otherwise, we will be putting a lot of money into activities that go into these regions and we don't see any change. In, in, in what's happening. And also um, also something to know that is very important for me to talk about it is uh, the anticipatory um, uh, actions that we do. I think it's important that we shift from the reactive way of doing things as a country. Um, and I use a, I'll use a very good example of the drought that we see at the moment. Um, I think we've... Uh, this is... I just I mentioned that it, this is actually due to four failed seasons and we still as a country reacting to it. Okay. Reaction is a good word to stop on now for our last break. 
reacting. Remember, remember, how shall we react? <laughs> We had to react to things, uh, and you were saying four failed seasons, and we're being reactive as opposed to proactive. Isn't that the opposite? That is the opposite, exactly. Right. So expand. You were you were about to expand. Yes, I was. I was about to talk about this, and and the point is, um, being reactive is actually very expensive. Because they say it's 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 better to prevent than to cure. And when you react to things, it means that you're already intervening to situations that are already um, things are already bad. Instead of planning in advance, curbing uh, what we expect to be adverse uh, in advance, instead of actually trying to look of, to look for what will work and what can help to save the situation and that is what i mean by being reactive and i think it's it's it's, it's costing the country so much money to start looking for um, providing relief um uh, supplying money for example um bringing donor food calling for donations I think it's just too much and too expensive and it's not really uh, helping the person in the ground. As opposed to taking early measures to this, uh, anticipatory actions to these and planning in advance and saying what will work, what needs to be put in place and doing that before the disaster is here with us. Ni kitu gani mwanasayansi ya kufanya kusaidia serikali? Kama mwanasayansi, naona kuwa ni jukumu langu. Kufanya utafiti wa kutosha na kuweza kueleza serikali ni nini aswa inafanywa inafaa ina, ina ifanyike ili iweze ku uh, tuweze kukumbana na hii hali ya climate change um, ni jukumu langu kabisa kuangalia kuwa naelezea na napeana maelezo ama nafanya utafiti enye unaleta maelezo kamili na ku, ku, ku provide solutions as well like um, solutions to easy uh, changamoto yenye tunakumbana nayo ina, 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 inatoka na hali ya anga mabadiliko ya hali ya anga Asante so we can go back now in the final segment to idea of a roadmap. remember where we came from we were in 2050 we whittled down to where we are now and again the idea as a scientific community here continentally worldwide what do you know to be the milestone moments towards a better future? Could you alert our listeners to what to expect? Yes, exactly. Um, Malimu, hmm. 
it's important to say that I'm 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 also the alternate focal point for Kenya uh, for in- the intergovernmental panel on climate change, and what intergovernmental panel on climate change does is it provides the latest science of climate change, and we are actually informing the governments. This is that is what we do. That so that's what the intergovernmental panel on climate change does, and. I have participated in this as 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 one of their authors in one of the reports and this is what we do to inform the governments of what to expect what needs to be done but also to say as a roadmap is in November we will be adding to Egypt so it's conference of parties and we're calling it the African COP African so the conference of parties where countries meet heads of state meet uh, civil, all civil societies from around the world meet. So basically, anyone, any um, stakeholder or um, um, uh, around the world on issues of climate change meet to discuss about issues, climate change, uh, solutions, um, ways to, to to progress the climate debate, uh, solutions. Uh, to, to, that needs to be addressed. And this is, will be a very important one because this is an African COP. Um, uh, there's a good delegation from, from Kenya that also uh, participate in this and they try to voice uh, the African issues in this to see that we're actually on the path to, to, to addressing the climate crisis. Right. I want to go back. To, uh, just, just a psychological digression. Uh, we've just come post-COVID where... We had um, virtual meetings and everything was happening virtually. Do you think that as a human being that it's good for people to meet in person or was the virtual thing doing it? As a climate scientist, I would say the virtual was doing it. Oh, you had no desire to sort of um, see people, look them in the eye, toast to a better climate change future? Because I'm a social being, I would, I would feel that. Yes. I think it's important for us to meet. Mm. So I'm 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 putting on the, the both shoes here. Yes, yes. Yeah, I I I think it's important to minimize this. So that so the, so, uh, so so solution. You know, I was going because I was going to I was going to trap you somewhere along the line and say there you are getting onto a jet f- flying business class to get to Shamal Hake. Yeah. And or Sheikh uh, whatever it might be called properly. Yeah. Uh, right. So you're saying even in those we can make efforts that in our own daily conduct we minimize the effects of climate change. Yeah. So if, uh, just to go, uh, this is the individual. What can the individual do? Should I, should I desist from using gas? Should I, I don't, don't sort of be waylaid by gas companies on your way home. Should I, (laughs) should I use, what should we be doing to play our role? Because normally they say, for example, if you have a deodorant and you go, that's meant to be bad. Can you dare put your foot, your mouth, a part of your body out and say, don't do these things for a better tomorrow? One thing will be don't throw litter out of your car as you drive to Mombasa. Then next. So, uh, it's so behavioral change. Yes, exactly. Behavioral change. Hmm. So, it's as an individual, we're talking about individual, yeah, we're talking about changing your behavior. Um, reducing so for, uh, so basically we're talking about reducing your carbon footprint so um 
we talked about the different, the many flights that we do, for example, for, to attend conferences and, 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 and meet. And we say sometimes these are important. We can't avoid some um, these in-person meetings that we do. But we try to say, can we minimize things, uh, meetings that can happen uh, online? We can have them online. And uh, meetings that we think are very crucial for us to be there in person, we can have this. But we can say, how can we offset our carbon footprint from that? So you can come back home and say, okay, I travel for these uh, many, uh, I flew for these many kilometers. And this is an equivalent of a certain amount of carbon dioxide that was emitted. And actually, you get that from your airline. Your airlines, they actually have that calculation to to to, to give. And Unders- can, understood. Yeah, mm. and you can come back and say, "Can I plant two or three trees to offset this?" Right. So it's like you're you you're, you're paying back, or you're 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 balancing that, and um, something like minimizing waste conserving water using less water in your in your home or like conserving you water um uh, carpooling for example is very important you don't have, we don't we don't have to all of us use our cars if it's if you if if i work with you malimo in this mm. office can we use our car if we stay in the same estate for example so those are the individual um uh, efforts that we can we can put that time has come. The time is now. Who are you, Daktari Msubiri? What is your name, for example? Mwalimu, my name is Joyce Kimutai. Right. Tell us more. Uh, yes, I am a climate scientist. Um, I am a meteorologist uh, as well. So my undergraduate is in meteorology. I work with the Kenya Meteorological Department um at the climate uh change division of the climate uh, of the Kenya meteorological department i uh produce climate information or i provide climate information um i do projections on climate scenarios so basically to understand the changes in the climate and to uh give um provide climate information for for the country if a young listener said, when I grow up, auntie, I want to be like you, uh, what would you advise them to do in terms of study? And what would you say to them are the joys, the benefits, the fulfillment of being what you are? Because I've spent a long time being cynical about what you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, auntie, how did you get there? First, I would tell them I would really encourage them to if I would encourage them to be climate scientists mm-hmm. because we have very less of us in this country. So what are you doing? Are you doing physics, chemistry, biology? Are you doing, you know, history, biology? What, what, what is your formation to become the ideal scientist? You know, sometimes some professions you can say you can do anything and still become a lawyer. <laughs> is the same true? Is the same true of being what you are or? So because we look at atmospheric physics, so physics is important, mm. um, mathematics is important, mm. your geography is important as well. Mm. Um, so basically the sciences and the mathematics is, okay. is actually very important because you, we look at data, uh, we do a lot of data analysis, um, we, st- we study the atmosphere, so that is a lot of atmospheric physics that go into that. 
and so you have to have that scientific uh, sort of background to this. Do you do you meet people on the ground, or are you sitting in front of a computer crunching numbers, or do you look at the sky hoping for some kind of uh, what's happening here? We actually meet people on the ground, and we do that a lot. And mm. I mentioned initially, I mentioned on climate co-production, and this is when we go out there and co-produce the climate information with uh, the users of the information, actually. So you just don't sit and crunch data and give uh, predictions or um, uh, like uh, forecasts. We go and sit with them and say, what do you, how useful is actually climate to you or climate prediction? How do you, do you use this information? How do you want this information? How can we tailor it to help you actually? And so that is what exactly we, we, we do. And, and then so we don't just sit and do data crunching on our, on our own. Yeah. Oh dear, we have to stop there. Uh, you've taught me more than I knew before talking to you. Uh, knew you and I'm a poet, uh, but uh, do continue to give us feedback, hopefully positive and reassuring, on the Twitter handle at Capital FM Kenya or drop us a text or WhatsApp message on 0701-984-984. I've been talking to climate scientist, soon to be Dr. Msubiri, Dr. Joyce Kimutai of the Kenya Meteorological Department. And good luck to her and to her work for us. And you've been listening to John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. Thank you for doing that. Until next time.